to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. Well, let's look at the Word of God today. I want to take you deep and I want to do it in 20 minutes. There you go. Kevin, the American auctioneer with his boots on. All right, let's see if we can do this. I think I can. I think I can. Hallelujah. Well, we're called to be salt and light, but we need to understand what it is we're meant to be called, called to be salt and light with. What is salt and what is light meant to do? How does it actually work? You know, for light to have meaning, there's got to be some darkness, you know. For salt to have meaning, it's got to be something that's consumed. But there's more to salt than just being consumed and adding flavor. In Romans 1 Verse 21, it says, it talks about a generation. It talks about a, a group of people. It talks about this, this dynamic that happens where people's hearts become darkened. It says, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. That word for hearts is the word cardia in the Greek, K-A-R-D-I-A. It's the same word from which we get cardiac, heart, you know, as a pump. These are hearts that literally pump darkness. Ephesians 1, 18. Paul to the Ephesian church talks about light. He talks, he asks, He's praying that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glorious of his inheritance in the saints. When we're filled with light, when our hearts, born again, begin to pump light, we become light pumps. And we go out into a world where dark, darkness pumps, pumps of darkness have been existing. You know, if I go into the national forest in the United States and there are no human beings around, it's not a dark place. But if I go into a downtown area and there are people around, there are some people pumping light. Christians, born again, spirit-filled, pumping light. And then there are other hearts that are pumping darkness, some more than others. We talk about the darkness of our age. We've got to understand where the darkness comes from. It comes from within the human heart. It's an important principle to keep in mind. Think about the individual source within each person to potentially bring light or bring darkness. Pump light or pump darkness. Think about that principle. Just hold on to it for just a minute. You know, Ravi Zacharias is probably one of the greatest apologists, and I would argue intellectual evangelists of our age. He's, he's utterly fantastic. And Ravi um, tells the testimony of going into Angola prison and going to, uh, to, the, to the place where the hardest of the hardest of the hard are kept. And he had a conversation with a young man who had so many consecutive life sentences, he's never going to get out. And he found Christ in prison because of prison ministry. Because someone with a heart pumping light went in there and he saw that light and he asked that light to come into his heart. He gave his life to Christ. He repented of his sins and he became that light himself. Now he's in prison and he's never going to get out. And Ravi asked him, can I pray for you? Is there anything I can pray for you for before I leave? And this young man said something remarkable. He said, 
I don't need your prayers, Robbie. But pray for my parents. They're out there, but they're imprisoned and they're enslaved and they need to be free. Look at the contrast. What transforming power, a young man who will never see life not behind bars again, but he's free on the inside, hallelujah. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed, hallelujah. That's transformation. That's the transforming power of the gospel, hallelujah. It's not just about going and being bright and bubbly and encouraging. It's about going and being a carrier of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is your life a testimony? Are your words a testimony? Are you courageous in faith to step across the chicken line in key moments with key people that God places in front of you and to not only shine that light, but explain it to them? Are you? Hallelujah. Someone explained it to me. You know, like, I don't know how to do that, Kev. How about you just go to the mirror and practice asking people the question, have I told you the good news? That's a great opener. I use it at campus. Hey, have I told you the good news? And they're thinking, oh, someone getting married? Oh, did you just get a raise? Uh, are you having a holiday? Something like that? Have I told you the good news? And I go, you know, there was this day, and I start telling them about how Christ came in and saved me that night. And it changed everything. And you know what? They're so stunned by the question and then not getting what they want that you've got about uh, two minutes there where they're like a stunned mullet. And if you talk fast enough and clearly enough, you can really get it in there and you've started a conversation. You've lit the match and you've held the light up in front of them and suddenly it's shining in darkness. And you know what, regardless of what their, if it's on campus, what their academic pursuit is, regardless of how successful they might be or how many times they might have failed, if their heart is pumping darkness and you hold that light into their space, then it brings hope. There's a breath of fresh air, of oxygen to someone who's starving. Have you done that? It's a great opener. It's a great opener. We are carriers of the gospel. When we talk about being salt and being light, we're talking about being carriers of the gospel. Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. When we talk about transformed community, you've seen all these opportunities. We've got to go and to pray and to interact and for you to discover who God's called you to be in Christ Jesus. You can do that as a part of the body of Christ here at Casey City Church, or God may call you to pioneer something totally new in the city. What's God been talking to you about? And maybe you've been too afraid to even share it with anybody, but it's tumbling over and over and over in your heart. And you know what? We're Casey City Church. We love to send you out because we want you to be a light. We want you to know Christ, love people, and go and transform somebody somewhere. Hallelujah. That's what this is all about. 
This whole game, what's this Christian thing all about? That's what it's all about. I got radically saved one night. Dushi talked about the night he got saved in, in a connect group at a home years ago. And he talked about it that night he got born again, he got filled with the Holy Spirit and from a Catholic background, he said, boom, and you can't go back. It was like, boom. I remember the night I got my boom. It was like, I couldn't go back. I couldn't even sin properly anymore. It was amazing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So what is this gospel message that we carry? Well, we've got 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 8 that's considered to be the summary of the gospel message. But before we look at that, I want to look at Christ actually giving you the gospel. The Nicodemus came to him, a religious leader, came to him late at night because he was a bit of a chicken and he didn't want to be seen coming to Jesus. And he sat down and Jesus accepted him and began to interact with him. Let's have a look. Let's join them in the room. John 3, verses, verse 14. And I should pull up the scripture, so I've got it. I'm getting so excited. I get excited about this stuff. I don't know about you. I get excited about the good news. I, I, get, ex I get so excited about it. I can read it again and again and again. I can sit and talk about it until the cows come home and my mouth runs dry. Starting in verse 14, and as Moses lifted up, the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You can go to Numbers, and you see that passage there where they had been grumbling and complaining against God, and snakes came into the camp and started biting people, and people started dying, and the people came to Moses and said, we've done the wrong thing, and Moses went to God, and the Lord God told Moses, Take a, make a brazen circuit, serpent, a brass, looks like fiery serpent, put it on a pole, stick it up on the hill, and anyone who looks at it, who looks upon it, will be healed and will not die. How's that? The Bible says that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus came and chose to be cursed and to hang on a tree for us. How do you like this? Long before Christ was ever born in Bethlehem, there was a symbol of him that was placed on a hill. Now, Jesus is not a serpent, but Jesus, he who knew no sin became sin. The serpent was a symbol of the sin. The sin on a cross, on a, on a pole. The sin becoming accursed, nailed to the cross, and anyone who looked upon it was healed. They were looking upon Christ. It was a future representation of God himself coming to earth, living as we do without sin, choosing to die and become a curse for us. He had knew no sin, and yet he chose to become sin. That's what love does. And now anyone who looks upon him, we should point to the cross at every occasion. Hallelujah, the great trading places. Hallelujah. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Hallelujah. Anyone who will look to the cross Anyone who will look to the cross and understand its meaning and accept it can be healed of the stain of the sin that's on their lives. Hallelujah. It still works today. He who believes in him is not condemned 
But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. You know, people, criticism you run into is, well, God, you know, if this God, he's condemning me, you know, from my choices and whatnot, you've got to get across to them that they're already condemned. Here's a good analogy. You tell them, you are alone in the Mojave Desert. It's almost noon. You have no water. You are going to die here. And now Jesus pulls up with a bus. I am hanging my head out the door of that bus and saying, come inside the bus and we will drive you to safety. You're already going to die here. How about you take a chance and get on this bus because it's no chance at all. The Jesus bus, the Jesus bus is salvation. You got to get across to people. They're already condemned and dead in their sins. Here's the, here's the condemnation. Here's the, the judge's gavel has fallen. Here's the judgment on those whose hearts pump darkness. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. When you bring that light, you're going to bring conviction. People may blow back on you, but you still got to bring it. Come on, bring your A-game. you got to bring it in this day. Don't chicken out. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest their deeds should be exposed. Because when your deeds are exposed, you have an opportunity to repent and turn of those, to let them go, and to let the shed blood of Jesus Christ wash you clean, white as snow. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they, may be, that they have been done in God. Hallelujah. And you can go and look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 8, but just for the sake of time, I just want to focus on, on verse 8. I'm going to summarize real quick. You can pop verse 8 up there. Paul's summarizing the gospel that he's declared to the church in Corinth, to the people there who believed in this gospel and being transformed by it. He's summarizing it. That Christ came, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose on the third day. We sang it this morning. And that it was declared in the scriptures beforehand, hundreds, thousands of years beforehand. It was declared that God would do this. And then after he was raised, he was seen. And he goes down the laundry list. He was seen by Cephas, by Peter. He was seen by the 12. He was seen by 500 believers all at one time. And at the time Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, almost every last one of them is still alive. And he says it. You don't believe me? Go find one of them and ask them personally. They were there on the day. And after that, he went to James, Jesus' half-brother, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem at the time. And then Paul, last of all, he gives his testimony. It's very brief. Paul always understates himself. And then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time, like a premature birth. He's talking about the day that he was born again. It was as if he was a child in the mother's womb and then suddenly the birth pangs came and pow, he was spat out. And it was shocking and amazing. And I think it would be shocking, too, if I was on my way to a city to persecute Christians, and then the next thing I know, I was blinded and slapped off my donkey, and I had to go and hide and wait for someone to come to me. I think 
that would be a shocking way to be born again, to come to faith. But Paul gives his testimony. That's your takeaway there. Paul gives his testimony. Not only does he testify to the gospel and deliver the gospel message, not only does he talk about the transforming power that it's had in the lives of others, he talks about how it's transformed his life personally. Don't be afraid to tell your testimony. Sometimes we compare testimonies. My testimony's not like theirs over there. That guy's got an amazing testimony. You hear this stuff in churches. It's like, how about your testimony? Your testimony is amazing. You were dead in your sins, and Christ came and brought you alive. And now you live eternally. And Christ sits at the right hand of the Father working with you. Hallelujah. How amazing are you? You are a cardia, a heart pumping light. Hallelujah. Oh, you're amazing. You have an amazing testimony. So tell it. When we look at salt and light, just to kind of begin to bring things in for a landing here, when we look at salt and light, salt in the old world and still in some parts of the world today, salt was not only for flavor, but salt was for healing. If you had a wound, you would grind that salt in a pestle and you would put that wound in the salt. People talk about putting salt into a wound. Well, yeah, you used to rub salt into a wound, you know? Yeah, it was painful, but it helped to sterilize the wound. It helped to bring healing and expedite the healing of that wound. But in order for salt to bring healing, salt must be in contact with the wound. For us to be salt in the community and to bring healing to somebody, we have to go. You know what? We've actually got to get into their wound. You don't do it. You can't do it from the bleachers. Can't do it from the sidelines. You got to get into it. Salt was a preservative. I know when I get back to America, we're going to have some, some salt cured ham. We used salt and we cure ham. You know, that's it. anybody know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? How to do a ham with the salt? Oh, the salt is essential. Salt slows the rotting process, it stops the rot, it halts the process and prolongs the usability of that product. We're called to be salt in this world, the salt of the earth. We are a preservative, but we must go to where the potential for rot is. We must go to those places of perishing in the community, in the society, in people's lives. And we gotta get into, we gotta be in contact with the very thing that's at risk of perishing. Like people like, you know, ask me, should you be involved in politics? Why should you meet with politicians? Because in this day and age, that's where the risk of perishing is. It has an effect on your kids and on your grandkids and the way you live your life. You know, we need to go and be salt and be light there too. And we go and we apply that. Right now, as we're sitting here, they're finalizing the, the freedom of religion bill. It's gone through a lot of drafts. And I got to tell you, Christians who are salt and light have been going in there again and again and again and again and again, meeting with the attorney general, meeting with SCOMO, with our, with our prime minister, hallelujah. And you know what? Things are looking pretty good. But you know what? We had to go if we just sat back here and go, well, I hope it all turns out okay. We'd be in trouble. No, you got to go. You got to go. You got to go. You got to be in contact with it. And then flavor, in order for salt to flavor anything, that thing must be consumed. It must be consumed by people. People need to hear you, they need to see you, they need to spend time with you, they need to break bread with you. 
People need you to care enough to do that. So when we're told by Christ himself, you are the salt of the earth, go be the salt of the earth. You are a blessing to people. You're the light of the world. I loved what CJ shared. She had shared uh, with me. She said basically that no one ever walks into a darkened room and says, please turn the darkness down. They only walk into the room and say, please turn the light on or turn the light up so I can see. And when that light comes on, you see the condition of the room. You see tripping hazards. You see risks. I know that, you know, as a husband, there are times where there's things that go bump in the night. It's usually one of the kids or the cats. But, you know, there's a, Kevin, did you hear that? I'm like, yeah, I heard that. And that was me snoring. You know, there's something out there. Okay. So I get up and I grab Jenny's lippy because that's the only thing I can arm myself with. You know, if this guy comes at me, he's going to look like a fool in the mugshot. I tell you what, you know, and I walk out there and I flip the light on because I can instantly see the hazards that are present there. We've got to turn that light on. We must do it in this day and age. Now, I want to leave you with this. This is the diagnosis in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you don't need to put this one up, Gordo. I want you to close your eyes. This is a very specific, prophetic diagnosis of the conditions of people in our time. Now, the condition of our society and the condition of people's hearts in this description actually produces harm and hurt in people's lives. You need to get that connection. It's not all one thing. It's two things. The condition of people's hearts, the conditions of our society, the conditions of people as a whole that is described here produces the hurt and the harm to people. So hear it this way. Come to grips with certain facts in the very last times, treacherous, dangerous, high-risk periods that produce great hurt and harm will come. For men will become selfish and self-centered, inordinately in love with themselves, inordinately materialistic and in love with money, willing to exaggerate the facts, even willing to lie and stretch to the truth if it will bring them the gain they are wanting. They will be marked by a feeling of superiority, abusive, harsh, blasphemous language will be theirs. Children will be unpersuadable, disobedient, beyond control. Generally speaking, people will be ungrateful. They will, be normal, they will be morally lewd, loose, and nasty. A normal love for family will disappear. People will become irreconcilable, unable to come to terms with one another. They will almost seem as the devil himself, accusing and slandering. They will be uncontrollable in nearly every way with sex, greed, money, credit, government, appetites of every sort will go to the farthest extreme, producing a people who are fierce, untamable, beyond control, um, almost uncivilized. This will be a day when there will be no laws for the good people. Oath breakers, a generation of reckless, hasty, rash decisions. Yes, temporarily making things better, but in the long run, harmful and incredibly hurtful decisions. They will swell and roll in as overwhelmingly as a hurricane, attempting to radically change, alter everything along the way. But just as quickly as a hurricane hits, just that quickly they will blow away. These will be temporal-minded people, completely deceived, 
in love with moments and lifestyles of pleasure. Their love for pleasure will far outmeasure any love for God. In comparison, the love for God will amount to nothing. This they exchanged for their own comfort. They will come to possess an outward appearance of godliness, making themselves to look and sound like God, though their inward substance is defective. They will do all in their powers to deny and stop the operation of God's power from such turn away in legitimate horror. And these conditions are what cause the harm and the hurt for people. There are so many things that are already happening in our society. You can think of safe schools. You can think of the gender fluidity stuff. You can think of all this stuff. It seems to the world like it's okay in the moment, and it even seems right, but it's laying a foundation of rot in the lives of children and of people. It is not a good thing, and I can go on and on and on with it. As a matter of fact, the freedom to preach what I've just said, what the words that just came out of my mouth are at risk and have been debated in the freedom of religion bill. So are we going to have it? You need to pray. Hasn't been passed yet. But we need to be aware. You know, it's time for us. It's time for us to rise up as a church. This term four theme of transformed community is an opportunity for us to go and to grow and to know and to love. And we should just do it. And like any good thing, it starts in prayer. Us going down to Nerewarn South, P12 today, we know the lay of the land there, we know what the rot is, we know what the harm is, we know what the hurt is, we know what's going on. Fatherlessness, we know the effects of it that's happening there. Fathers not only being absent, but fathers being abusive in this generation. Homes that aren't safe places to go to, where kids don't get fed before they leave in the morning and may not get fed when they get home in the evening. That's happening just down the road. We start by going to pray. If we know about it, we need to pray. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Amen? We want to see healing, but it begins in prayer. You know, one thing you need to understand about prayer is prayer brings intimacy. Prayer brings intimacy. It brings intimacy by the Holy Spirit, intimacy with the wound. It brings intimacy with the potential for rot, the perishing. It brings intimacy uh, with, with the darkness that's there. And when you go into that situation, you see the tripping hazards, you see the risks, you see all of those things, and you should begin by praying. It's not enough to see it. You need to pray about it. And then you need to do whatever it is that God has asked you to do, no matter how ridiculous it might seem. You need to do it. It's time for us to be courageous. Uh, God has handed the city to Casey City Church. Uh, it's not just us, it's the body of Christ. But you know what? We can't deny the specific calling that God has given to this house for us to go and to transform this city. So I encourage you, come with us today. We're gonna have lunch, we're gonna just wrap it up and we're gonna go and have lunch and I'm gonna hand out some of the prayer needs and just on our way home, we're just, instead of leaving in dribs and drabs, let's leave together. Let's go home via Nary Warren South P12. Let's stand on the sidewalk, let's gather together, let's come together in agreement, let's take a hand and let's pray for this campus, absolutely, okay? God has entrusted the campus to us. Let's be good stewards over that. Amen. 
Amen. Let's, let's bow our heads and our hearts. Um, yeah, let's bow our heads and our hearts. Well, Father, we thank you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the gift of your son. Lord, we just thank you. Lord, we just thank you. Ask you to help us. need your help. I just thank you. We thank you for this city. Thank you. I just thank you. Show us how to lift Jesus high for the city to see. Help each person in here to realize the truly amazing thing that you did that they can testify to in their life. Give them the words and the courage and the opportunity. By Holy Spirit, lead them in your word. Lead them into all knowledge. Give them deep revelation. Rhema, open your word before their eyes to take them from glory to glory to glory in this generation, Lord. Lord, we thank you. Thank you.